straight talk about the issues you care about the most. It's LaVise Dinkleville, Empowerment for the Culture. Now, your hosts, Dr. Will LaVise and Dr. Eric Claville. Hey, I'm Will LaVise. He's Eric Claville. You tune into LaVise and Claville, where we give it to you straight the way it is from a black male's perspective, because it's like that and that's the way it is. And so we're starting off this new show in 2022, looking back at what we covered and talked about in 2021, which is absolutely another crazy year, not to mention that the, obviously the pandemic and the way that that has affected everybody. And then how the year even started off, new president. And then a resur- uh, uh, insurrection <laughs> that we had never thought we might see ever in our lifetime happening on January 6th. But there was a variety of issues such as those that we talked about on LaVise and Clouville over the uh, past year in 2021. And we want to just recap and talk about those. Right, Eric? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, Happy New Year to you, Will. And also, uh, Happy Founders Day to the to the Go Mobs. Absolutely. Blue Five. My brothers at Five Beta Sigma. Today we're filming on a uh, recording on January 9th, which is our founder's day, January 9th, 1914. Got my shield in the background for my brothers from out in Ghana uh, in honor of my uh, illustrious brother uh, Kwame Nkrumah, who's also a Lincoln alum, as well as I am, Mu Chapter Lincoln University. So appreciate that, brother. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when we talk about a, the year in review, you know, I I look back and you and I, we've known each other for almost a decade now, believe it or not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, you does know. It look at, though, does it look at, we still look young and fresh and, and clean. <laughs> look, still look great, you know, and uh, still doing great things. And, you know, you and I, we had an immediate connection on the show, you know, the Will and Lee show. Actually, we met on Barbara. And Lee show first. Right, another view down in uh, Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, w, w, uh, HRV, right? On, yeah, on WHRV, public WHRO. Yeah, uh, with her and our sister Lisa Golly. And, and we just kind of had a connection on, on the round table. So then you, um, myself, appeared on your show. And then now, you know, you you appearing on my show, State of the Water, also broadcast in Norfolk or WNSB. And now we talked about getting this together, right? I mean, you brought it up, and we just didn't have the time. But the pandemic brought us brought us all time. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's brought a whole lot of people a whole lot of time. Man. I know, I know your your wife has been seeing a whole lot more of you and enjoying that time, man. So just don't make any more babies, man. <laughs> like I, I think that time has passed, but you know, <laughs> but you know, it, it gave us an opportunity to really sit down, right. think about what we wanted to get out there, and do it. And with our producer, you know, Ben Bailey, Benjamin Bailey, who's working hard behind the scenes, making sure that everything we do is pristine, top of the line, uh, excellent, spirit of excellence, professional, and all of that. We have Louise Ankerville. And we're one year, one year of episodes, and it's absolutely amazing, you know, what we're what we were able to do. Absolutely. You, Shout out to Ben. Absolutely. You know, so this idea, we started talking about it, you know, and I guess in in end of 20, uh, 2020, and it finally came together. Actually, uh, close to mid mid twenty twenty, 
and it finally came together. And we launched the first episode in March of 2021. And with that, we talked about, you know, we, we actually went straight for the juggler where we <laughs> talked about issues that people don't really want to talk about. What we call kitchen table talk. Right. You know, but but what we do in this particular show is that we we give it to you straight from a black male, black educated male perspective. But at the same time, we look at the issues in a in what we call in global. So we look at it from all angles. Right. And 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 we come down to a conclusion that hey, you know, maybe there is an answer here, maybe there's not, but ultimately you make the decision yourself. Yeah, so and try to bring out, some and try to bring some real facts and real facts and especially with both of us being educators, bring some research and real information to it because there's a lot of information on the internet that really just comes down to opinion. And you know what they say about opinions, you know. So <laughs> You know, opinions are, are, are okay. Everybody's entitled to one, but it's really only facts that stand the test of time. And, and, Absolutely. Um, and opinions, the opinions come with a whole lot of odor with them. So, well, look, you said opinions. <laughs> I got another description for it, but I'll, I'll I'll leave it at opinions. But the first episode, you know, we talked about little to nothing. Why blue collar voters vote against their own interests? Right. You, know, right. you and I, you know, we talk politics all the time. You know, you've covered a lot of it as a journalist, as, as you know, being a writer yourself, an author, professor. You know, of course, I deal with it every day. You know, right. law, policy, and politics, and education as part of my life, my career. And you know, one thing that we, you and I, just bang our heads on the wall about is why do we vote against our interests? Hmm. You know, if, if you know for a fact that you need this in your community, if you know for a fact you need this on your job. And why vote for somebody that's not going to give it to you right. or somebody that said they're going to give it and never do it over and over again. You know, so we dealt with that, you know, and in dealing with that issue, you know, we, you know, we actually brought up, brought up a lot of examples, you know, both current and past right. you know, of, of why these issues are the way they are. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, and the thing about it, that's, you know, so startling and it happens over and over and over again is that people get caught up in their emotions and particularly politicians will pimp people's emotions and make all of these promises that they really have no intention of keeping. But it's really about them being able to get in position of power and do the things that they want to do to advance their own interests. And, and, it, and it's a shame because there are real needs out there that people have to to be heard to have their their issues addressed and again when emotions rise and you're able to prick and pimp people's emotions this is how people end up voting against their own interests exactly you know and then in the month of march we actually talked about socialism or survival hmm. you know, we talked about could a guaranteed income help eliminate poverty and look at what happened during the pandemic you know individuals got Stimulus, you know, <laughs> you know, and I mean, and that stimulus helped to stave off hunger, poverty. Uh, I mean, you name it, eviction. You know, it helped to stave off a lot of a lot of issues that people were dealing with, man. And and not only that, but it, it really helped people right. in general. You know, so I'm not saying we were ahead of the curve, but. Man, you know, it's funny. I heard a, a comedian recently 
and forgive me, I'm forgetting this brother's name, but he talked about this very same thing. He talked about it in the context of reparations. He said, you know, wait a minute. And we were talking about reparations and folks are saying, well, African-Americans can't get reparations because there's no money available to give reparations for <laughs> slavery and for, you know, legal segregation and Jim Crow and so forth. And so they said, wait a minute, where everybody come up with all this stimulus money from? <laughs> there's nobody come up with billions for stimulus. So it's just it, it, it's just really something is just ironic. Yeah, man. But to your point, the stimulus did very much help a whole lot of people uh, keep their heads above water. Look, not just keep their heads above water, but again, like I said, it helped people survive. You know, mm -hmm. it helped people, um, people suffer, you know, and the pandemic really showed a lot of that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the month of March, we talked about, we talked about the pandemic itself. You know, one year later, you know, we looked at what COVID-19 really did right. to America, really mm -hmm. did to, it, but also what it really did to the world, America, but what it also showed the rest of the world, especially uh, white America, what black America, black and black America have been dealing with right. all these years. Right. You know, it un uncovered a lot of uh, social and health and economic inequities. Right. And it also showed, as you said, the disparities because the people who were dying at the highest rates were people of color, African-Americans, indigenous people, um, uh, Latinos, we're dying. A lot of the people who are in those kinds of jobs that are lower paying on the front line have to be physically present to do the job. We found that a lot of these were the individuals who were in these roles and actually very much critical roles that's helping to uh, drive the economy in many ways. And then we start seeing when it when the vaccine be, does become available, that the, the the disparity in terms of who is getting access to the vaccine. And that continues to be an issue now because the richest countries are the ones who have been able to administer the vaccine to most of their citizens, whereas the poorest country across the, across the world are still very much lacking. So the, the inequities, the, you're right, the pandemic absolutely exposed the inequities. If people that many researchers have already been talking about and writing about and, and crying out about. If you don't see them now as a regular citizen, it's just that you got your head in the ground. Absolutely. You know, and then also in the month of March, we talked about hate crimes in America mm -hmm. and our schools. When we talk about issues of education and we, we also uh, discuss immigration and black athletes and HBCUs. Right. You know, now, again, this is 2021 March. Hmm. And when we talk about HBCUs and black athletes, look at what has happened at HBCUs and the jockeying for the coaching positions hmm. yeah. for the football team. I mean, look, hats off to Deion Sanders. Jackson State, right. Yeah. Hats off to him for bringing the attention to HBCUs, bringing it back. Because keep in mind, we look at all these African-American Hall of Famers in the NFL uh, prior to the, 19, uh, the the 2000s. Over half of them came from HBCUs. Came out of HBCUs. Mean Joe Green, Jerry Rice, Walter Payton. Walter Payton. You, you, go, you can go on and on down the list. And you see, yes, absolutely, because at that time, 
only the, the black athletes, the best athletes were going to HBCUs because, again, African-Americans weren't allowed and were systematically locked out of going to these other schools. And then when they started to see the talent <laughs> and see the, the the talent pool and how they could resource the talent pool, now you see major universities, Alabama, Georgia. I mean, if you know any history about Alabama during the time of Bear Bryant and prior to that, you didn't see any black athletes on the field. And so no. now it's just ironic how you get many of these schools, almost the, the the majority of the athletes oftentimes are black, but yet the student body is still very much uh, segregated. So you have to wonder, is it racism? Is it is it that the students aren't able to to qualify and compete? Or is it that it's being intentional recruitment to have a black athlete, whether male or female on the campus in a, in a particular capacity. I say it's all about being intentional. So if you can be intentional to bring a black athlete on your campus, you can certainly be intentional about being, uh, bringing a black uh, biologist or engineer on your campus as well. Absolutely. You know, I, I would go to conferences, education law conferences, and um, we were talking about diversity, right? And recruiting. Mm. You know, no one could find talented <laughs> African American male. So, you know, I, I just kind of got, to, you know, fed up with hearing that rhetoric. So, you know, my colleagues knew what I was going to say because I said, listen, everybody in this room that's saying you can't find talented African American males, why don't you actually go to your football coaches and mm. ask them to give you a seminar? Because right. obviously, they can go to the back roads of Mississippi right. with no signs, where GPS probably don't work, right. and sit down in the living room with a kid and bring them all the way across the country or to the Midwest or to a place that they've never seen before and sell them and give them a full scholarship and support them right. in, in their areas of need and challenges in order to get them on the field of play. Right. To make money. So... You know, at the end of the day, we all do what we want to do. Right. And, and we know because HBCUs continue to graduate uh, lawyers and doctors and, and engineers at a higher rate than PWIs, you know that Black students are very much capable at excelling in these other areas. So if you're really serious about recruitment, then, like you said, you would be intentional about your recruitment. Now, the flip side of it is that our HBCUs, which both of us are grads of, uh, Lincoln University, Pennsylvania, you're from Southern down Louisiana. I mean, we benefit in that our institutions over this past year, uh, with the ascension of uh, Kamala Harris and others, people beginning to see the value that HBCUs have always, always brought to the table. So I think that it's a it's a beautiful thing that our institutions are getting this deserved attention. And now our institutions are, are positioning themselves to be able to compete on a level playing field. That's really what it's about. We know that we've been able to compete with disadvantages. Now let us, let's see what we can do by giving us full, the full funding that's deserved that the other school are getting and see what we can do. And I think that you'll see our students are doing uh, miraculous things we've already been doing miraculous things exactly in other words we've been doing it with less so now give us our just due 
Right. Watch, watch what we do now. Right. So, you know, we, we, we moved on, we progressed in the year in, in the month of month of April. We started talking about reparations. We started mm-hmm. talking about issues dealing with real issues dealing with African Americans because you know we dealt with justice for George Floyd. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we dealt with driving while black, you know, we dealt with voting rights. Is it a step in the right direction? You know, these are all issues that affect the black community hands down. Right. And all these issues. Um, centered around the community and policing. As a matter of fact, in May, we dealt with the color of police encounters and successful while black. (laughs) And again, we dealt with reparations once again. Um, And and Will, we also went to the NFL and HBCUs again because, you know, even though we are producing these athletes, HBCU athletes were not getting the looks from NFL teams. Now, we have a handful that do make it, but, you know, it's more that we saw and we all know deserve an opportunity. Right. Again, not a handout, but a hand up in order to show the talent that they have. And I think that one of the beautiful things that's begun to happen is some of the top recruits. You mentioned Deion Sanders early. He's recently has gotten another top recruit uh, in the nation to come to Jackson State, to come to his university. It was in others that have gone to other institutions, such as Hampton, um, rather such as Howard. I know there was a, a, a basketball player, forgetting his name right now, that um, was a top recruit and went to Howard University. And I think that the students and their parents are getting smart in realizing, hey, in this internet era, right, there's an ability for scouts to see you using the internet to look at your tape that you upload to see your ability to play. The size of the field, the size of the court, the rules are all the same. Yes, the size in terms of the size of the athletes may be different when you go from D1, D1A, Division II. But if you can ball out, you can ball out. out. (laughs) And the NFL, the NBA, whichever the league is, if you have that kind of uh, NBA quickness, NBA speed, whether you're playing at D3, D2, if you have that kind of uh, talent, they will put you under the training. They will give you the diet. They will prepare you to be able to excel at the highest level. And how do we know? Well, we see every year Division One players coming out and get drafted and flop out, don't do well. We see – Number one draft picks not pan out in the NFL. We see number five, five uh, uh, round draft picks excel and become uh, uh, Hall of Famers. So the point is, is if you can ball out, if you have the talent and ability, no matter the level, you can you you can be seen because the internet and the way the scouts go out and do things now enables you to be able to be seen, and you don't necessarily have to go to Alabama or Georgia you know, or the big schools and actually end up not getting a degree and, and essentially being exploited for your talents. So you know, the other thing that has come out is how athletes are now being positioned and have fought back to be able to uh, be able to monetize their own talent, you know, at the NCAA level. So that's another positive thing that has come out as well. You see it, you see how athletes taking advantage of that. You know, it's funny you mentioned uh, the decision that came down because that's a major decision. And mm-hmm. the uh, NCAA tried to use black faces to justify 
an age-old rule that benefited white males only uh, about, quote-unquote, the student-athlete, which was really created as a cover uh, in order to create wealth and not pay these young men uh, for their labor. So like you said, they use them up. I mean, they give them housing, they give them food, and a few gadgets and shoes when they go to ball games and so forth. And then after that, they send them on their way. Sounds mm. like an old system in America, right? But Very much so. Very much so. Yeah. You know, but we're not going to talk about that now, but in season, in, in 2022, we'll talk about that later. You know, but, but, but Will, we shifted in May because it was a major shift in society, mm. right? Black Lives Matter. Uh, we saw a lot of that. Uh, after the year, and we were looking at these issues uh, one year later. So we talked about protests to policy, and we also talked about protests versus lobbying in order right. to get things changed. Right. And then, and then we shifted toward this idea of the black tax. You right. and I have been talking about uh, these this this additional effort, this that's additional right. look, this additional tax that's placed upon. Black professionals and just black people in the work environment right. and in, in the communities operating in society. And we've dealt with a lot of those areas, not all of them, because we've got some more areas we're going to deal with. Right. But the black tax was really, really important to us. Yeah. I mean, it's often, I, I think about like right now, I think about how when President Obama ascended and became president, how the optimism that came with that. And the actual question that people started saying, are we now post-racial? Have we entered a post-racial phase? I remember Van Jones making a statement, sitting on the platform. Right. And, the and then to think that <laughs> as time went on, it is that the Black Lives Matter movement erupted during his administration, showing that very much no, because there are systemic issues going on that are embedded deeply in the DNA of America that puts African-Americans, people of African descent, at a second-class citizenship level. So even though we've changed the laws, practices, as you talked about often being a policy guy, practices in the way that we actually still do things still exists on that old, very much rooted in American uh, DNA system of second-class citizenship. And so we talked about these different things, the tax, that black tax addresses and looks at what are these additional barriers that we must confront and even confront within our own community, because there's all kinds of different effects that happens to people as a result of being raised and bred in a racist society. So there's internalized racism that oh. goes on, as well as institutional racism, as, as well as uh, you know others. So the black tax addresses that, looks at what are those barriers and, and, and what is it that we need to do to overcome them still, because we are anything but post-racial. Yeah, and to, to talk about how America still has so far to go because of systemic um, practices mm -hmm. that are discriminatory. It boils down to what we dealt with in June, you know, protecting the big lie. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know, it was, when we talk about the big lie, we're talking about, of course, the big lie about, you know, what led to the January 6th insurrection, which mm -hmm. we're only 
four, three days post um, that particular terrible incident mm. you know, that took place in our society and how it's still, people still believe that. They still like, believe that. You know, and, 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 and we, we kind of started dealing with education of America. So we dealt with in June, not just protecting the big lie, but the miseducation of America, of white America, dealing with critical race theory. Mm. And what that leads to, which is riots, uh, murder, and genocide, where we looked at the 100th anniversary, uh, of the 100th anniversary commemorating uh, Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Greenwood neighborhood. Mm. You know, so th those issues rose to the top, you know, when we talk about uh, education and miseducating white America about black America. You know, and the thing that was so that I found additionally shocking is that, okay, in throughout American history, there have been elections that have been, you know, disputed or challenged, questionable, you know, shenanigans have gone on, but it, it seemed like throughout our history, we still had a, a practice or an ethos or a respect for the overall health of the nation, yes, that even if we felt that something was not quite right in the election, was not 100%, that we would still respect the passing of the torch, you know, the changing of the guard. And I'm thinking like right now, I'm thinking about, you know, second George Bush and Al Gore election. You know, the hanging chads. You know, we're old enough to remember that down in Florida where his brother, George Bush's brother, <laughs> was the governor. 2000. Yeah. 2000. And, and all of the controversy, very much legitimate controversy over that. Yet Al Gore took the position of, you know, the, the, the retaining of the union yeah. is more important than my individual winning or losing this vote and challenging it and risking tearing a nation apart. And it seems like just in, in 2021 with that insurrection and with this, the previous president that that just went out the window and with the Republicans and how Republicans and Democrats are going at each other in Congress and in government. Now it's like that has just gone out the window that we don't even have a respect for the the retaining, the, the keeping the union together. And so you have to wonder, you know, when you, as a historian, someone that recognizes history, as you do, uh, Claville, from the standpoint of the law, you have to wonder how much of this is really an old argument taking us back to, you know, the Civil War, that old strain that has never been really fully honestly dealt with, you know, this, yeah. this, you know, and, and, I've seen, we've seen writers and we've seen people uh, looking at that and saying how much of what we're seeing now is still the remnants of that old argument that we yeah. thought was, was old actually isn't very old at all. Yeah. Uh, Will, you hit the nail on the head. My wife and I just talked about that the, the other day. You know, mm -hmm. how I mentioned how looking at the insurrection, the one year anniversary of it, how this is reminiscent of the Civil War mm -hmm. and the mistake that we made not to deal with the issue that caused the splitting of our country. Mm. We saw that pop up again over 150 years later in Washington, D.C. So mm. we got to deal with these issues head on. If we do not deal with the issues, the truth of it, the hard truth, then we're going to see it happen over and over again. 
you know, which kind of leads us to, you know, we did a season one uh, overview. You can find it on our, our, our media, social media site, LaviseClaville.com, or, our, or at LaviseAndClaville. Uh, but we kicked the year off. We kicked the season off, 2021, I remember, on MLK Day. Yeah. Right. Right? And we asked the question, where are we now? And I thought that was very befitting of kicking off, you know, LaVise and Greville and talking about really where is not just African-American community, but where is America? You know, and I, and I think in the first year, we dealt with a lot of issues showing where we are, from the black tax series to policy issues, to politics, to cultural issues, right. all the way to, you know, the heart, true um, facts about how far we have to go, mm. you know, and I'm pretty excited about where we're going, you know, with Louise and Camille. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to what we're going to do in 2022, you know, and what, what it has in store. I mean, it was certainly surprises in 2021 and I've learned to embrace the unexpected. So <laughs> let's see what we got. Absolutely. And look, I thank you, my, my good friend. It's been a heck of a year. And uh, we're looking for this year coming up to be even better. Absolutely. Again, we want to thank all of you for joining us for Louise and Camille for this episode. We want to thank our producer, Benjamin Bailey, who always keeps us straight and makes sure that everything we do is top notch. Continue to support us. Watch our past episodes in this episode at Louise and Claville, or you can catch us at our website at LaviseClaville.com. Until next time, that's the way it is. Be well. We'll see you. Thanks for listening to another episode of La Vise d'Enclaville. Make sure you subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. For information or to connect with La Vise d'Enclaville, check out our website at www.lavisplaville.com. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to At the Levise d'Enclaville on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. This has been the latest episode of Levise and Claville.